Um, we have an assembly election in May, early May. And as I visit, as I listen to conversations, as I drink coffee with you in ARC, there is a level of confusion and a level of frustration, and then for others, a level of apathy about local Northern Irish government, more so than perhaps there has ever been at any time. And the one thing I hear again and again is, I don't know who to vote for. And some of you are living in that confusion, and some of you have politically checked out and said, I'm just not going to vote. I want to encourage you not to do that. I think as Christians, it's really important that we um, bring our prayerful democratic um, liberty of voting as Christians. I think it's really important that we allow God's voice to be heard through us in this land in that way. But who do you vote for? We're not going to tell you who to vote for. We're not going to tell you what person or what party, because that would be wrong to do from a church. But what we are going to do um, in the weeks leading up to Easter and a few weeks after Easter is identify about six current issues that are going on in politics and in culture that the Bible actually speaks loads about. And as Christians, we should passionately care about. We're going to teach on these topics and then we're going to offer you um, some questions for you to consider yourself, talk about with your friends. Maybe even if somebody knocks your door canvassing for your vote, you said, in here, do you have five minutes? And they'll freak out, I promise. They'll, they'll just panic. They're used to just having the door closed in their face. And you get to ask them a couple, well, what, is your, what do you think about this? Because as a Christian, this is what I care about. And each week we'll give you a few prayer points as well for you to be praying. So we're not going to tell you who to vote for, but we are going to encourage you in how you think biblically about voting and the current issues at the minute. So I'm going to let Gary bring the scriptures to us, and then Ken, I am delighted to have you back genuinely today. I really am, sir. Uh, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say for us. So, amen, I just couldn't wait to get in here, so I couldn't, you know, so let's, let's uh, be reading from God's Word, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, we're reading from verse 4 of chapter 6, and we're going to be thinking about education uh, today, as Gareth said. So Moses says this to the people, God's people. He says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on, the, on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Amen. Amen. So we're looking forward to what Ken will be sharing with us. Ken, it is, let me echo what Gareth said, uh, an absolute delight and pleasure to have you back with us this morning. Uh, I was feeling a little bit nostalgic when I was sitting down there, um, but you know what they say, nostalgia, it's not what it, it's not what it used to be. And, uh, and so we, we're, we're giving thanks for having you back. We're giving thanks for 87 years. We're looking for what God's going to do today, right now, in the present, and what he's going to do in the future. So thank you for coming up all the way from where the mountains of Morn sweep down to the sea. Uh, you brought the sun with you. Yes, there's a little bit of a time delay between it arriving from Newcastle to Newcastle Ray, but, you know, it's going to be out there when we get out there this morning. So Ken, let me pray for you, Ken, as you come. Um, 
Father God, we give you thanks for your presence with us by your Spirit. We thank you for your servant Ken and for Barbara and for their faithful witness over many years. We thank you, Father, for Ken's current witness and service to you. And we ask that you would speak through him clearly to us now. Lord, that you would bless him, that he would know that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon him, and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. For we pray these things for your glory and in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, uh, Gary and Gareth, for your welcome. It's great to be back with you. Happy 87th birthday. Wow, we, you know, and uh, as I get older, I think, my goodness, you know, uh, the, the proportion of years that I was your minister actually gets smaller. Uh, and now that I've been refired for nearly five years, it's so good to be back with you. I really want to commend uh, Gareth and the leadership here in Orangeville to you. I so, so believe that Gareth was God's person for you at the time he came to be your minister. Who could have foreseen two years of pandemic and all that's happened? Uh, so to Gareth and the whole leadership team here, I just admire the way you have operated over the last couple of years and kept uh, the church together and kept things going. And I really believe that God is with you as a congregation to bless you. Uh, so it, it's fantastic to be with you this morning. I, I was very excited when Gareth said, could I come and speak at uh, the, the anniversary service? I thought, oh, yes, it's great. I'm looking forward to being back. And then he said, I'd like you to come and speak on education. <laughs> well, I once did a thing here with Scripture Union, and we had to contact school teachers. Uh, and uh, we had 28 retired school teachers and a good number of others who were still working in teaching. So there are dozens of teachers here. And this morning, I feel like the blind leading the sighted. I really do. Uh, but I, I feel, too, that God has given us something for this morning, and we hope and pray it will be uh, relevant. The, the Stormont Assembly has ordered a thorough review of education to be completed by the end of this year. Uh, group responses, uh, the, the deadline for that has passed in February, but it is still possible to make individual responses. So there's a, a big uh, review of education uh, happening, and it is actually very important. But what are some of the issues? Well, I, I thought I'd go back to old friends, AJ, uh, Alan Jennings, and Thelma Crawford, two of our principals, to take time out of a busy schedule and just to share some thoughts with us, uh, and they have uh, a number of things that uh, are part of the review that I'd ask you to listen to now. This uh, video will last about nine, nine and a half minutes. Hello everybody, my name is Alan Jennings, and I'm the head of Downey House School and Fulton House School in Belfast. Hello, I'm Thelma Crawford, and I'm principal of Rosetta, which is a primary school very close to Forestside. And we have been asked by Ken McBride, for which we'll be eternally grateful, to have a little bit of a chat about um, current educational issues and to think of, of three questions uh, that we would ask a prospective MLA if they were canvassing and they turned up on our doorstep. Um, now, before we do that, Thelma, um, today uh, I suppose it would be wrong not to mention this particular piece of news because as we're recording this video, um, the news came through that the integration 
Integrated Education Act had been passed, and as you can see the headline there on the BBC News website, despite the UK opposition, there was um, a possibility of additional concern being used uh, in terms of, of stopping this bill, but that didn't happen, and the bill has been passed. Now, obviously, Devil, we're not able to engage with an MLA on that because it's, it's, it's now passed, but I wonder, um, certainly in, in my school, we've got quite a range of, of uh, religions, uh, 13 different religions and so on, of, of people and none. How, what's, what's your own sort of thinking about the integrated education and, and, and the role of faith in schools? Well, for me, supporting integration is absolutely crucial. I think it's so important that our children learn about each other um, and learn with each other. I would have concerns about the particular piece of legislation in terms of sector-based, and I think that's been a weakness of our Northern Ireland system that we are so based in terms of our sectors, whether it's Catholic maintained, controlled, Irish medium or integrated. Um, my school is already very integrated. I have a huge range of children in terms of all faiths and none. Uh, and I think that tying integration down purely in terms of Catholics and Protestants being inter- integrated together is quite a backward step. And in Northern Ireland, we're really moving beyond that. Thanks. Yeah, schools, schools, you don't doubt schools have changed quite radically in, in, in my time in, in education. And a school that would have been identified uh, as being 100% from the Protestant community, uh, whilst those may exist in certain places, but for more and more and more and more schools, that's becoming uh, less um, obvious. Um, I, suppose- I would love to see, sorry, integration right. as a as a wider thing, um, yeah. and that is yeah. like mine that I do feel is integrated and has very much an integrated ethos. Um, that we get recognition for that rather than funding being purely diverted towards the sector, but just seem to be integrated and under control of the integrated sector. Absolutely. I think there there's a lot to learn from, from lots of different religions and different faiths and so on. But I suppose the key aspect that, that I think everyone would agree on is the need for what we would call respect, both respect yeah. for, for the children and respect for adults who work in schools and that, that covers all, all staff from, from ourselves as, as, as principals and it's, it's very hard not to give a list of, of people working in school without, without sounding hierarchical so we'll just leave it at, at, at all staff um, within within schools as well. How, how do you feel about that sort of concept about respect in, in schools? Well, for us, again, in Rosetta, um, respect is one of our core values. It was the chief one that we talked about when governors were discussing values in schools. And we look at it as in teaching the children and adults to have respect for yourself. Um, Then you show respect to others and then you respect the environment as well. So for us, it's sort of those three facets. Um, But I think, I suppose, society as a whole, we have in some ways lessened showing people respect. Um, and I think schools have become a victim of that as well and that there are criticisms made which are perhaps unfounded or expectations might be unduly high that it's just impossible to meet. I, I think certainly, um, again, but one has to be careful talking very personally, but I think talking to, to other colleagues as well, there is a, a point where education is very much seen as an individualistic concept. It's, it's what what I need for my child, my child, and that, that's very important. Your, your child is, you know, you're your sole advocate for, for your child, but it happens within a corporate environment, and I think that's that's very important. Um, I know I know that social media has been a, quite an issue in a number of different schools, so I, I suppose for me, for our first main question, 
is, is there a role for uh, Christian influence in schools? Uh, how, how does an MLA feel about that? Uh, and it's not, it's not about that very direct uh, evangelism. Um, it's, not, it's not about that aspect. It's more about Christian influence. How do they see the role of Christian influence, I think, in schools? I think that's a very interesting one because um, maybe traditionally churches have viewed schools in some ways as an open door for mission for them. Um, whereas I think that churches need to be quite careful that we don't go in seeing schools as a mission field, but that it is more going in and saying, how can we help you? Um, and particularly, how can we help you share the love of Jesus? And that Christian staff in school are able to reflect Jesus by how they live and by how they treat people as much as going in to preach the gospel and look for converts and I would see that as two quite different things. Okay, yeah, thanks. Um, I think some of the material that, that Ken supplied in terms of, of helping us in terms of this discussion, um, there were case studies of, of how churches were supporting, actively supporting schools uh, and one, one thing, of course, that I, I, I read and I remembered was that they brought scones in the school once once a fortnight, because I thought it was, was, was absolutely great. But whilst we do smile at that, it, it's a real, it's a tangible uh, level of support. And I think for a lot of folks in schools, it, it, they're saying, well, here are a group of people who don't know me, and they're providing me with food and, and, and treats. Uh, why, why would they do this? And that's, that's, that's what influence is about. Um, and and I, thought, I thought that was a very, an excellent example. So I, I just in, in terms of the churches looking to see how they can help. So again, in my situation, um, a church was able to provide me with car parking spaces, with no car parking at school. Um, so they were very kind and helped that. And then asked again about after school provision, again, because a lot of parents in my school don't have English as their first language. They're able to support the parents. Um, it's just been wonderful, a really, really positive relationship. I'm not surprised. I know that church well. I'm not surprised. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> um, I, I, I suppose moving on, then was purple of our time. Um, the last sort of bigger issue then is in terms of respect, and it's that level of respect for children who might find learning slightly more complicated or slightly take slightly longer to pick up certain concepts and, and certain ideas than other children, and the whole area of, of, of special education needs. And, and, and funding, I mean, it's a massive area. How, how can we boil that down to, to, to a 30-second conversation on the doorstep with the prospective MLA? Well, I suppose it's asking the MLA where they view education in terms of priority. I think, obviously, coming out on the back of COVID, health is a huge priority. But I do feel that education needs to be prioritised as well. I mean, the, the litany of underfunding is well listed. Um, but it is to see what the MLA views education as the priority and directing the funding towards it and also directing the funding to go where it needs, <clears throat> that we're looking at the needs of the children rather than the needs of the system. Absolutely. Uh, it was interesting in one of the documents, I think it was based on a conference that the Church House had, had organised and they did make the point that the principles have, have discussed for years is that um, whilst we have a reasonable budget for education for pupil, the amount of money that actually gets per pupil is, is the smallest in the in four nations. And I think that's something that we, we would be concerned about as, as an educational body as well, as a group of principals. Okay. And I think it's looking at 
children who have additional learning needs um, in terms of do they need extra support and perhaps special education but there's also then just looking at general achievement and attainment and making sure that every child is given what they need to thrive and to succeed. Okay, well, I think we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much. And um, we're, thanks to everybody for watching and we're going to have you back on again. Thank you. Well, thank you to uh, AJ and Thelma for uh, giving us some thinking on that. I found what they said about integrated education quite interesting and instructive, and I'll come back later to some thoughts expressed about regarding Christian influence in our schools. What's happening in our schools? Uh, I have a, a number of documents uh, available for you today, and uh, there's this one, uh, PCI Talks Education, Education in Northern Ireland, The Bigger Picture. It runs to several pages, and there are copies available on the vestibule table, and if they run out, you can order some from the uh, office. But it gives a, a large amount of statistics about education in Northern Ireland. I want to highlight three things. Page 8 of the document says, 28.4% of all pupils are entitled to free school meals. And in Northern Ireland, that equates to 97,631 children. So there's immediately an indicator of poverty that is affecting many of our schools. Page 9. The school leaver least likely to obtain good GCSEs is a Protestant male from an area with high levels of deprivation whose free school meals and special educational needs. That may be something you want to ask a canvasser what your political party is going to do about that. And then something I find quite shocking, page 10. In respect of working age adults who have no formal qualifications, the rate of 12% is almost double for the UK as a whole. We have a marvelous education system that at the top end is excellent and doing really well in comparison to the rest of the United Kingdom. But at the bottom end, 12% of adults in Northern Ireland have no formal qualifications. I think that is shocking and something that our political parties should be quizzed about. Some issues to consider. I want to encourage you to read the report I mentioned so you can be well informed. Uh, perhaps also looking at party manifestos or quizzing candidates or canvassers. You can't ask them about everything, but maybe some or one of the issues that uh, are appearing there may be something you feel more passionate about than others. But it strikes me from the statistics I mentioned that one of the questions must be, what should be done about the levels of poverty that affect our children's education? Uh, and how would you tackle the underachievement of so many pupils, especially Protestant young boys from deprived areas with special educational needs? But how might churches and how are churches involved uh, in uh, our schools and with education? You may or may not be aware that Orangefield has what are called transferers' rights to sit on the Board of Governors of Orangefield and Listenershire Primary Schools. And whilst in my early years here, I sat on those boards and also on the Board of Governors for the old uh, Orangefield High School, uh, in later years, I was always grateful for those who represented the church in my place and, in fact, in your place. 
Several other members have served as school uh, governors, parent teachers, representatives, or whatever. And I think it's right that that should happen, but something we shouldn't take for granted. And I think there'll be pressure in the future for churches in the controlled sector to possibly give up those positions and the witness it brings. Our denomination says that we should perhaps move from thinking about rights to responsibilities, to opportunities, moving from what are our rights to a deepening of relationships with schools in a posture of humility. That's what came out of a conference recently sponsored by PCI. And they cited some examples. Uh, uh, AJ and Thelma picked up one of them, that uh, there's a church provides scones and buns every other month or so for the, the local school and staff, and with a letter of thanks and encouragement to the staff for the work that they're doing. Some churches have a back-to-school with God Sunday where the local school principals are invited to the church service and asked to speak about joys and challenges of school life. Another thing another church did was weekly early birds, offer of hot chocolate, juice and food from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. for children on their way to school. So there's various ways in which schools are being impacted by the witness of local churches by the things that they, they do. We have a history here in Orangefield of hosting the Orangefield Primary School annual carol service, speaking at school assemblies, uh, and doing things like It's Your Move for P7 Children. The recent uh, PCI conference referenced earlier, a speaker suggested there are three ways that churches might partner more deeply with schools. Uh, he said that partnering with schools can be, first of all, transactional. Helping a school maybe fund off a a one-off need, maybe they need tablet computers, maybe they need other specialist equipment or some specific project that the PTA has launched, and there is a transactional way in which we might cooperate with local schools. Secondly, collaborative. Perhaps working with the school to meet an identified pastoral or mental health need, maybe providing things like English classes for migrant or refugee children. There are ways in which we can work with schools to do things that will benefit our schools. And then thirdly, structural, offering church hall facilities to help the school out where it's short of space. Uh, Pre-pandemic, Grosvenor High School sent pupils here for badminton, and they had begun to use the church here for their annual prize day. And Thelma's school, she said, was given car parking Uh, by the church that's right beside her school. For for all these things and the ways in which we can help and support local schools, the only limit is your imagination. But I want to ask the question this morning, what are our spiritual responsibilities with regards to education? Let me take you back to the non-book world, non-computerized world of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 6. Gary read for us early and from verse 4, something that became very familiar for the Jews was called the Shema. It's one of the most important symbols to this day in Judaism. Orthodox Jews will repeat verses 4 and 5 twice daily in their prayers. Why is this important? Well, in a culture that believed in a multiplicity of gods, the Shema emphasizes the Judeo-Christian monotheistic belief. We wouldn't have used the word Christian in those days of Deuteronomy, of course. 
There isn't time to go into the theology of the Trinity here, so ask Gareth or Gary. They'd be delighted to sort you out on that. But the point is that our faith is unique. And given that children were only educated by their parents at the time of Deuteronomy, there were no schools, the basis of what they were taught was God's Word, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And in what was read for us in Deuteronomy 6, what was encouraged in the education of children that might be relevant to us today? Well, first of all, they encouraged a heart relationship with God. The Shema teaches that loving God with all one's heart and soul and mind and strength is a matter of the whole person, heart, soul, and strength, as we just said. But remember that when the Bible speaks of the heart, it also includes the mind. And notice how Deuteronomy 6 emphasizes that marriage of heart and mind together. Remember that uh, when the commandment is given, it's given that these things are to be impressed upon your children. Eugene Carpenter wrote this, the tongue repeats what the heart formulates, while the heart gathers all information or information from all senses. Let me repeat that. I, I think that's quite important. The tongue repeats what the heart formulates, while the heart gathers information from all the senses. And so the education of our children is to be as Christian people in the context of a heart relationship with God. Deuteronomy also, I think, encourages us that this is multidisciplinary education. Impressing God's commands upon our children, writes the commentator Daniel Block, means, and I quote, repeating them constantly. When God's people sit in their homes and walk on the road, when they lie down and when they rise up, in this case, he says, every adult Israelite is to be a teacher. Every adult Israelite, every adult Christian is to be a teacher, seizing every opportunity for instruction. And again, the picture in Deuteronomy provides us education with words and visual aids. Deuteronomy 6 and verses 8 and 9 speak of the Jewish practice of wearing what are called today phylacteries. And I'm hoping a picture will come up on screen. Uh, and here is a, a picture of Jewish men at prayer. You can see uh, things wrapped around the arm and the head. Uh, and these leather straps, there was one portion of Scripture put around the arm towards the hand and another leather box on the forehead which contained four portions of Scripture. What was the significance of that? Well, the, the significance was that the hand signifies what we do, and the head signifies what we think. And so what the phylacteries were with portions of Scripture to the arm and to the head was a, a visual reminder to the Jews that God's Word was to be acted upon and understood and taught uh, with actions and words and mind together. So that's something that we need to remember about education. By the way, I remember Mandy White giving a talk to a number of us in Orangefield uh, some years ago about the five learning styles. I'm not going into that this morning. If you want to know anything about five learning styles, speak to Mandy or any teacher uh, who will be able to tell you what they are. But this, I find interesting in Deuteronomy, 
is education that is heart relationship with God, multidisciplinary. It's words with visual aids so that what we do and what we think marry together in conformity to God's word. And let me carry on with one or two principles that I think uh, should be relevant to us. First of all, education should be holistic. If in secular thinking we are seen as just being body, mind, and emotions, we miss a fundamental dimension of the human condition. As those made in the image of God, we have a spiritual dimension to life that mirrors how God has wired us as human beings. And even if some don't recognize that spiritual side of life, the Bible reminds us assuredly that we are body, mind, emotions, and spirit. And so the best of education will take note of that dimension of human existence, body, mind, spirit, emotions. So let me ask the question, do you know what your local school is doing with regards to the teaching of religious education? Do you know what's happening in your school assemblies, who takes them and what is being said? Do you know if your school has a scripture union or similar group? And if any of these things are not being attended to, what about having a friendly word with your local principal? By the way, make it friendly, always. Uh, Somebody once said one of the worst jobs is trying to lead a school or a church. (laughs) Uh, And... uh, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. But the, the, the principle of a school has enormous influence. And he needs or she needs parents who will come affirming and thankful and grateful and polite in terms of why you're not doing this and could you think about doing this in your school? Be polite. What about offering help where it's appropriate? And by the way, do you realize that the teaching of religious education is still a legal requirement in our primary schools? So could we encourage schools to embrace this positively and ask our politicians to protect this? So education should be holistic. Secondly, don't devolve all responsibility either to the school or to the church. In the era of Deuteronomy, there were, of course, no schools. Every adult took responsibility for education in the community And when instruction moved somewhat out of the home, it was initially based within the local synagogue. And in our modern world, don't forget that the churches provided educationally for the population of our country. They provided caring for the needs of the sick. Do you realize that the very word hospital has a root meaning of hospitality? Hospitality that was given by Christian people who tended the sick and sought to bring healing. The church was advocating against things like slavery long before governments took responsibility for these things. So it's less than 100 years since churches ran many of our schools. And the handing over of our schools to the government to fund them and to run them was on the basis of churches having a continued involvement and responsibility. How well or otherwise we have exercised that responsibility through transferers' positions is open to question. But here's the thing. We have grown up with the idea of education being devolved to the government through our schools. And we've left it to them. 
Perhaps also many Protestants have devolved faith education to our Sunday schools and youth organizations and have to a lesser or greater extent scaled back on Christian education in the home. So here's a question or two for you. Do you take a genuine interest in what your child does at school? Now, many parents have had to do homeschooling over the last couple of years of pandemic, so you have a natural springboard to continue that interest. Do you know what your school teaches your children about sex and relationships? If your school said it was introducing gender-neutral uniforms, what would you think about that? What, if anything, would you do about it or any other issue you think strongly about? Do you take an interest in the teachers and other staff in the school? Do you remember to thank them for what they do? Can you think of ways to encourage them? What about involvement in the schools, parent-teacher association, the PTA? How can we as individuals in the church model partnership and support with our schools? But if we ask that question, have we devolved too much to our schools of our children's education, similar questions could be asked regarding the church. So do you take an interest in what your child is learning right now in salt and in light and in all the other youth groups in the church? Do you ever take time to thank and encourage your leaders who teach and train your young people in this congregation? And what about your children at home? Do you teach them how to pray, how to read the Bible? Do you teach them how to think Christianly about life and the events that surround us? And do you seek not just to pray for your child, but with your child? Do you encourage discussions? When we were uh, parents of very young children, uh, we would, uh, over dinner at night, turn the answer phone on. Remember answer machines? We had a real answer phone machine. And I would just say, switch off your mobile or put it on silent. But we, we deliberately spent time over an evening meal without the interruption of phones or interruption of television or anything like that so that we could chat in a reasonably civilized way. Uh, and we used to ask the children about their day. Was there anything that made you glad or sad? Anything that was good or bad that happened today? And in this crazy, highly connected world dominated by social media, how could you take time to listen to your children, to share with them, and to pray with them? I love what my son-in-law does on a walk with our two grandchildren that Alan and Joanna have. We've been walking out, and I remember one time there was a beetle walking across the pathway, and Alan stopped, and he said to our granddaughter, do you know what that is? Uh, And he explained. Uh, And at a very young age, I think even when she was just two, Martha was able to share with me what iridescence was. Uh, And I thought, this is how a family are taking deuteronomic principles to teach as they walk and sit at home and lie down at night and get up in the morning, the old principles still work well. And I kind of love that that is what he very ably aided and abetted by our daughter do with their children and teach and train them as they move through life. So what? I used to say in preaching that the one question preachers should always ask is, so what? Well, there's a, a, a sheet available. It doesn't look like this, but there's uh, two things on a sheet that I've, uh, uh, Kyla has left in the vestibule. Uh, one is, 
a question that says, so what? Uh, and it says after they talk on education, uh, there's ten things. The first is be informed, read the report, etc., uh, etc. Et and there are items for prayer that you can take on that. And then there are some questions about the assembly elections and what you might want to be discussing or thinking about or even asking uh, members uh, of political parties who come to your door. So what? What are you going to do after what you've heard? Now, I have no idea whether this is what Gareth envisaged when he asked me to speak in education, but some thoughts. Many thanks to AJ and Thelma for that. Let's just take time to be still and to pray and to ask God that question, so what? It may be that some of us feel we have devolved all responsibility for our children's education to uh, the school or even Christian education to the church. We might need to do something to put that right. And if that's your attitude, let's just take a moment or two to say, God, what am I going to do as a result of what I've heard? Some alarming statistics, some issues about how I might support school. What, what is God saying to you this morning? Just take a moment or two to think. Now, just as we uh, remain with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I was wondering what God might be saying in, in a way that maybe you haven't heard before, but actually I want to repeat something I said a good number of years ago. And as we remain with our eyes closed, I used to have a dream. And I told the congregation here about that dream. It used to be that I'd waken up in a sweat because I was to do an exam for which I'd done no preparation and I knew, I knew I was going to fail. There was no other option. And uh, I said to the congregation here, maybe eight, nine, maybe more years ago, that I came across a scripture from Colossians chapter 1. Where Paul writes, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And it hit me that whatever we think about our education, and some of us here maybe fall into that category of having very little or no formal qualifications. Some of us here are quite qualified, but we maybe feel our degree was a bit worthless. And some of us just feel that we can never make the grade as far as God is concerned. And I say to the congregation that being hit in the face by this amazing thing, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the kingdom of light? It's God the Father, the greatest assessor, the greatest judge, the greatest uh, schools inspector, the greatest examiner you could ever imagine, has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the kingdom of light. And if God has qualified us, we need not worry. We need not feel bad about ourselves or feel down at heel. And I, I say to the congregation, 
all those years ago that I, I felt that having come to this realization, I would never have that dream. And I have not had it since. And at the end of the service that particular Sunday, eight people spoke to me and said, I've had a similar dream. And five of those eight were school teachers. So many of you have come to this church since I worked here and ministered here. We need to take education seriously. For the lives of our children are important, and they're important to God. But above everything else, if you have given your heart to Jesus, he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the kingdom of light. Thank you, Lord. Amen.